Welcome to the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm Michael Jonas. There has been a lot of talk in this era of criminal justice reform about how people get caught in the legal system, sometimes starting with fairly minor crimes and then spiraling downward from there. Some reform-minded district attorneys, including Suffolk County DA Rachel Rollins, have said they will increasingly be looking not to prosecute some of these lower-level crimes. They argue that will be better in the long run for those individuals and for the communities where they live. Other prosecutors and public safety officials say that's a dangerous path to take, one that will lead to more crime and make communities less safe. A group of researchers recently decided this was an important question to try to answer. They set out to do just that using court data from here in Suffolk County, which is made up of Boston, Chelsea, Revere, and Winthrop. So what did they find? What we found was that in Suffolk County, a nonviolent misdemeanor defendant who, just by the luck of the draw, had his case not prosecuted instead of being prosecuted, that defendant was much less likely to be rearrested subsequently within the next two, one or two or three years. And just to give you a sense of what those magnitudes are, um, a nonviolent misdemeanor defendant was about 69% overall um, ha- had fewer rearrests within two years. And that meant about, um, about 65% fewer misdemeanor arrests and about 75% fewer felony arrests. So these, these downstream effects, we saw them not only for misdemeanor offenses, but also for felony offenses. Um, and the other thing we found was that these effects were largest for first-time defendants who hadn't been in the criminal justice system before. So the, the beneficial effects for defendants of not being prosecuted seemed to be the largest for, um, for, for people who hadn't already built up a record in the criminal justice system. That's Anna Harvey. She is director of the Public Safety Lab at New York University a research center that tries to answer these sorts of questions through rigorous analysis of data. Our primary findings come from the period before uh, District Attorney Rachel Rollins took office. So we're looking at a period spanning 2004 to 2018. Um, And in Suffolk County, like in many large urban jurisdictions, misdemeanor complaints when they come in, they're assigned to arraignment courtrooms by the courts. Um, and there are assistant district attorneys who are assigned to arraignment courtrooms by the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office without regard to um, and without knowing which particular cases are going to be heard in that courtroom on that day. The other thing we need, and, and that is the case, is that those ADAs vary in how lenient they are with these cases. So some ADAs um, are going to prosecute just about everything, and some are going to offer non-prosecution more frequently. So for a defendant, it really is like the luck of the draw. Do you get a more or a less lenient ADA? And that's what we're leveraging to get that, um, what we call as if random, um, prosecution or non-prosecution. And so what do you and your colleagues think is going on here? Uh, why, why do you think not prosecuting these cases is apparently having um, this you know, beneficial effect on, on future behavior of, of these folks? And I guess, you know, I mean, at least part of the idea of the criminal justice system, uh, we've been told, is that you know, prosecution and punishment uh, will, uh, will be a deterrent to future criminal activity. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and there have been some studies that have found 
that kind of deterrent effect in in certain kinds of contexts. So traffic tickets, speeding tickets um, is a case where actually people have found a deterrent effect. Um, you slow down <laughs> after you've gotten a ticket. Um, but but misdemeanor prosecution, a misdemeanor is different from a traffic ticket. It comes with um, several collateral consequences, one of the most important of which is that in Massachusetts, if you are charged, um, if there's a complaint that's brought against you, um, even just for a misdemeanor offense, um, and you and your case is arraigned, um, it's not dismissed prior to arraignment, you now have a criminal record of arrest that goes on um, on your criminal record with a statewide DeSieges database. Um, and that criminal record is of arrest is observable by some employers, depending on what kind of jobs you're applying to, and it's observable by law enforcement actors. And so you can't, it, it starts this path of consequences for defendants, we think. There have been other studies that have found that, that criminal records have these really negative deleterious effects for individuals who are trying to get legal work. Um, and it can, you know, send some people into, you know, into other means of, of trying to find income if, if they aren't able to get legal work. And so, so I guess the, the sort of flip side of that is this, presumption that the folks who weren't sent sent down that road and didn't have their cases pursued, um, you know, um, were had an easier time sort of staying on on the straight and narrow, you might say, and not not uh, finding their way into the into the criminal system again. And, and I guess the thing that I was most interested in was your uh, observation that these effects that you saw of not prosecuting were strongest for first-time offenders. What is what is it that what is that saying to you? Well, you know, we have this phrase we use. It's called the garden of forking paths. So, you know, it's which is really about the cumulative consequences of the things that happened to you earlier in your life. So, imagine a garden, like a really big garden, and it has you know a path that starts, and the path keeps forking. If you keep taking the, the fork to the left, you know, after four or five forks, it's really hard to get back over to, to the right side of the garden. But if you start up, if you start off taking the right fork, now you're you're being pointed in a different direction. And that's it's kind of like, you know, and that's that's one thing that we think a criminal record, even just of arrests, we're not even talking about criminal records of convictions for the most part, because only about 25% of these cases end in conviction. But they're all getting criminal records of arrest. And once you have one, once your record isn't clean anymore, then it makes it a little bit harder the next time you have an encounter with a law enforcement agent to, to not accumulate another arrest. And now maybe you're more likely to be convicted. And that starts having consequences for employment. Um, you know, employers who have the choice of hiring somebody who has a perfectly clean criminal record and somebody who doesn't, it's not too hard to figure out who they're going to hire. So, you know, keeping somebody, you know, off of that 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 um, chain of forking paths, we think is is really um, has a big impact. And the bulk of your study looked at, as you said, at this fifteen year period before Rachel Rollins became district attorney. Now she's made this idea of not pursuing some of these lower level cases an explicit part of her agenda. Um, and what did you find was the impact of this during the short time since she's been in office that you you and your colleagues were also able to look at? 
Yeah, so we did look at the transition. Um, we looked at nonviolent misdemeanor cases that came before um, the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office in 2017, 2018, and then the transition to District Attorney Rollins in 2000, January of 2019. And so we did find, and we, you know, we again threw our um, statistical toolkit at it, um, and we found that even controlling for, you know, court and month and day of the week and case and defendant characteristics, there was, not surprisingly, an increase in non-prosecution um, after district attorney took office by about 15%. And those cases that were not prosecuted because of the transition to a new district attorney we also found reductions in subsequent offenses for those defendants within a one-year period um, after their case had been arranged. So, and, and the effects were of similar magnitude. So we found that, that District Attorney Rollins' policy was having a similar effect to what we were seeing in our other study. What do we know about how this non-prosecution of cases uh, affects or affected crime rates in, in Suffolk County um, I guess people might think the defendants who are not prosecuted um, might have lower rates of committing crime, um, but it's possible also maybe that maybe they just weren't being arrested because there was a sense that that uh, you know among police or others that they weren't going to face prosecution anyway, or also maybe they weren't committing crimes, but uh, certainly in this more recent period after Rollins and her and her policy became, you know, got so much attention that maybe other folks uh, were were uh, sort of seeing this as an opportunity. They were emboldened by this idea that there wasn't going to be prosecution to commit some of these crimes uh, like shoplifting or drug possession that, that, that we're hearing are not getting prosecuted. Yeah, no, we were certainly concerned about that as well. So we took um, reported crime incidents from the Boston Police Department. And again, using the same tools that we used to look at um, the increase in non-prosecution between the 2017 and 18 period and 2019, we used the exact same toolkit and looked at um, reported crime rates across a variety of different kinds of categories of reported crime. And we, we couldn't find any effects um, in the sense that crimes crime rates either stayed flat or actually decreased um, in, in that initial period of 2019. So um, while we agree that that is a concern that one might have, we were able to look at it empirically and we couldn't find any evidence that it was that it was actually occurring. Can you talk a little just about about getting access to this data and the fact that you and your colleagues landed here in Suffolk County to do the study? Yeah, well, you know, in 2018, um, I had already started to talk to district attorney's offices about wanting to evaluate um, the effect of some of these new non-prosecution policies. So I live in New York City, and so the Manhattan district attorney, the Brooklyn district attorney had been experimenting with these policies. And, you know, the, the staff in those offices expressed interest, but they were really hesitant about sharing their data because, honestly, because they didn't know what the results would show. Right. And they were worried that what if the results of the study came back and it showed that, in fact, non-prosecution was endangering public safety and they didn't want to be responsible for that. And so I was introduced to Rachel um, and in late 2018 after she had um, won the election and she suggested that I come up to Boston to visit her in, in about like just a couple of weeks after she took office. And we had the most extraordinary conversation in which she said, I want to know the truth about what effects these policies will have. And I don't want you to sugarcoat it. I want you to give it to me straight. 
Um, I'm going to give you full access to our data, and I need you to come back and tell me, um, is, are these policies harming or helping public safety? I next had a chance to talk to Suffolk County District Attorney Rachel Rollins about the study and her policy on prosecuting or not prosecuting these lower-level crimes. But first, I asked her about the decision to have a study done in the first place. Why did she agree to give researchers access to years of court records that might support her policies or might show they were a bad idea? Because I'm not afraid of data. I I think it's really important that when we propose alternatives or new things, that we are willing to look and see whether they work. And my, you know, I found that there are people that love speaking about the good old days, but don't have any data to support the good old days, right? And and I come from a community where we have not been successful or reaped the benefits of, you know, privilege and opportunity and wealth like many people do in the criminal legal system. So we were going to look at things differently. And I think I had to be open to seeing whether I was right or wrong and a, a, adapting appropriately. And what, and what do you think is the big takeaway uh, from the study findings? So I think the takeaway is that there are other ways that we can think about safety and prosecuting every single crime, nonviolent, non-serious crimes, wasting 70 to 80% of, let's say, the criminal defense bar, the public CPCS office, public defenders with Anthony Benedetti, 70 or so percent of their budget is on the mis, you know, misdemeanors or the municipal and district court cases, as opposed to the part one violent, serious crimes that we know are driving violence in our communities. Let's just be fit more fiscally responsible and be smarter on crime. That's number one. And number two, we are not going to wait another 16 years to then allow more people access to our data. We are going to be in real time looking at this, Michael. And what I did as the DA when I was first elected was we hired a chief of innovation and strategy and a data technologist that work internally in my office. And we are looking at data all the time. The head of my Crime Strategies Bureau used to work in the office, went to work for TJX, doing a lot of data analysis regarding, you know, um, corporate sort of uh, crimes and and preventing those proactively with data. And we lured him back and he's now using data to help us um, proactively prevent crime. And then, of course, the other part of this story is what, uh, you know, or the sort of main part that the researchers told was what happened to the individuals who were either prosecuted or not prosecuted. And what do you sort of take away from that? Uh, were you surprised at the uh, kind of dramatically lower level of uh, future involvement in the court system with the, with the justice system over the following couple of years of those who were not prosecuted. We keep hearing, uh, you know, prosecution and convicting people of crimes is supposed to be a deterrent, but 
it sort of seemed to be in these data kind of flipped on its head. Yeah. And I was just, I was deeply saddened by the randomness of it all, right? If you got assistant district attorney Jonas, who was, you know, more culturally competent maybe, or understood and saw you as a full human being, as the mosaic of your life, as opposed to just this snapshot of who you are in this moment. Remember, Michael, we have in our municipal and district courts, so many of those people have substance use disorders, mental health or mental illness um, issues. They have food or housing insecurity. There are all of these issues um, that they are dealing with that are far more, you know, relevant to why we find them in the system than the very little thing that they've done, the nonviolent or non-serious um, crime. And so I didn't like the randomness of the more, the, the, the ADA that was willing to give you another chance and not brand you with a criminal record, as opposed to the person that just said, every time we arraign every single case. Um, and then, you know, most people with a nonviolent, non-serious crime, when you get arrested or you get charged with a crime, it is serious and it deeply impacts you. And whether that's your rock bottom, even if it's a trespass, even if it's a driving with a suspended license, even if it's a, a, a possession, right, that that might be enough to jar you to say, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I don't want to do this any longer. Today's the day that I'm going to get the help I need, et cetera. Um, so that's what I was interested in. And what we saw definitively dating back to 2004, um, over 16 years of data, 67,000 cases, is the people that we branded with the criminal record came back more. Like the recidivism rate um, was higher significantly than the ones that we didn't. And it seems, though, that it also kind of starts this sort of downward spiral, I guess you might say, that the folks who had those arraignments, who had to go through the five or eight or six or 10 months of court appearances, even for this low-level offense, they just became much more likely to then commit another offense. Uh, again, I think, as you say, the researchers didn't have the, you know, kind of bandwidth or wherewithal to know why, but there's certainly a lot of research and, 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 uh, and discussion now about how people kind of get dragged into the system and then find it hard uh, they've got a record that starts to affect their employment abilities, even their ability to maintain employment during the during the disposition of the case starts to send people a message that that maybe, you know, this kind of staying on the straight and narrow isn't really going to work for me. And they just start deviating in ways that the others didn't. I guess one thing I, I'd love to hear you talk about is there's been a lot of talk, as you know better than anyone, about uh, your plan to not prosecute this list of 15 nonviolent uh, offenses. Um, and I guess what the study showed, I think, is that your office has, in fact, increased the share of these cases that are not prosecuted, but it has not been kind of a wholesale turning upside down of the way business is done in Suffolk County. In fact, they say that more than one in three of these cases already uh, was not being prosecuted under your predecessor, Dan Conley. I know there's different ways to measure it, but the way they looked at this set of either cases on your list or a somewhat broader group of, of mis nonviolent misdemeanors that, that roughly, they said, uh, 34 to 38% of them were not being prosecuted already in 2018, and that under your first just eight months in office, 
that bumped up by five to eight percentage points. So you haven't really just wholesale stopped prosecuting these 15 charges. Uh, talk a little about that. And I don't know, do you think your was your messaging initially off when people thought it's going to be open season on all these things? Did you recalibrate things? So I think you're right. I mean, to, to go back to one question before, just the collateral consequences that we see when you have a court date and you, you know, are given all of these additional conditions, then it's more rope that you can tangle yourself in, right? If you are 10 minutes late to a, an, a curfew as a result of getting back from your job, and then additionally with the, with the brand of a, an arraignment, you might not be able to get or an open case into a program for your substance use disorder. Um, you have fines and fees. So there are all these other ways that we can tangle you up. So, but moving on to your, your, that question, the new one, as a candidate, Michael, I didn't have a comms team, right? So in all bold on my one page, six weeks before the primary election, I wrote, you know, decline to prosecute list, right? Or, or I remember it. <laughs> and then in, in small, almost one font, you know, invisible ink, I said, unless you get permission from a supervisor, right? I think doing it now with my comms team, I might've worded that a little different, but what I can tell you is we just flipped the presumption from prosecution, which is what people thought was happening, to declination, diversion, and dismissal. You've already hit the nail on the head in that my predecessor was declining significant amounts of these cases on my list of 15. He didn't have a list of 15, but we can look at that list and go back in the data and show, I think in 2018, we dismissed, declined, or diverted 48% of the, I'm sorry, 42% of the things that were on my decline to prosecute list under DA Conley. He just didn't tell you. I don't want to fool you into this. And I also don't want only the kids in West Roxbury to reap the benefit of dismissed, declined, and diverted, or Southie or Charlestown. <laughs> I want all kids or young adults or people I'm not dragging you down to our floor. I'm lifting the floor up to the ceiling and I'm putting it in writing so that everyone reaps the benefit of this. So 2018 dismissed, declined, diverted 42% of the decline to prosecute list. 2019 dismissed, declined, or diver diverted 57%. So that data shows me a few things. Yes, I increased it a bit, but it most people, the misconception is it went from zero to 57. It didn't. Or maybe they thought it went from zero to 100, right? Zero to 100, right. And that's my second point is with 57%, that means in 43% of the cases we prosecuted because these are just guideposts, right? If Michael Jonas, this is the first time you've ever touched the criminal legal system and you have a trespass, why do I want to brand you with a, a criminal record? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to null process you and say, hey, knock it off. Don't do this again as opposed to Rachel Rollins, where this is my seventh trespass in the last four months. We've tried this and it's not working for Rachel. We're gonna arraign her and the judge is gonna help us now hold Rachel accountable with more resources and probation and all of these other entities that jump in after the arraignment. That's the way we're thinking about this. And at the end, Michael, the most important piece is Nobody's saying, I don't think trespass is important, but if Rachel is trespassing because she's homeless or she has a mental health issue, let's get her housing and treatment so that we just eliminate the problem 
writ large, right? As opposed to putting a Band-Aid on it, sending her to South Bay, and it's $55,000 a year to send someone there. Let's use that money to get some housing and treatment for the people that are hurting in our communities. Um, and let's put our attention on the violent, serious crimes that are happening in the communities, the rapes, the kidnappings, the child sexual assaults, the homicides, the armed assault with intent to murders. That's what I want to spend my time on. And have you had conversations since the study results have come out with any of the folks who had been kind of raising alarms uh, about this? There had been some pushback from uh, folks in the police department, police unions. Uh, I know even one of your, your fellow DAs, uh, uh, Michael O'Keefe on Cape Cod, had uh, had said this was sort of, you know, everything was going to hell in a handbasket. We have these, he called them social justice district attorneys. And I mean, he wrote a piece saying it would be a big mistake, this idea of declaring that entire categories of crime will go unprosecuted. Again, it sort of seems like you and D.A. O'Keefe maybe are, I'm not saying that you are uh, in complete agreement, but it doesn't seem like your disagreements were quite as strong or as complete as he was making it out to be. Again, he seemed to be also suggesting that you were going to sort of declare entire categories off limit for prosecution, which would, I think he's right, sort of be kind of an invitation to folks that it's open season on whatever that is. Has there been any, I don't know, meeting of the minds or conversations since uh, this report came out? I guess my phone not ringing is them calling, but uh, no. <laughs> they And what am I going to do? Call them to say like, look, look, see, I told you. No, look, we're just going to be busy continuing to try to keep Suffolk County as safe as possible and to have conversations with people that are willing to think creatively about being smart on crime as opposed to saying, you know, in 1871, when I first became DA, this is the way we did it. And we're going to keep doing it that way. Right. No, I'm, I'm not. I, I haven't reached out. Um, we're happy with the data and we are not going to shy away from the data. But the most important thing, Michael, is had the data shown something different, had they shown, let's say, a massive spike or increase in you know recidivist behavior, if we don't prosecute, we would be adapting right now, right? This is not, yay, I won. This isn't about me. It's about what are we doing to not have more government regulation or involvement in people's lives when they really just need assistance for societal failures and harms, right? mental health issues, substance use disorder, food and housing insecurity, or homelessness. Let's try to get them that assistance as opposed to more um, supervision, you know, fines and fees, and weighing and bogging them down in a way that isn't going to have them be successful. Um, so again, I'm not expecting calls from people. Um, I've known them for a little bit of time. That, that doesn't seem to be a strong suit there. But, you know, hey, might happen. We'll see. I'll let you know if they if I get a, a bouquet from, um, you know, where would it be from? I don't know. Some beautiful flower shop. Right. All right. We will be we'll be waiting to hear from that. So uh, Rachel Rollins, Suffolk County District Attorney, thanks so much for talking with us today. It's been a great Always. conversation. And thanks to you for listening to another episode of the podcast from here uh, at Commonwealth Magazine. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.